0: Welcome to Scenes of Beauty, a platform that is here to empower you to be your most authentic self and celebrate your own version of beauty, whatever that might be. I'm Chloe and I'm making it my mission to help you find and live your truest selves by connecting you with people that I believe live on their own terms. Each week I sit down with guests that are all designed to show you that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes and it means something completely different to every single one of us. Scenes of Beauty is a relatively new platform so I wanted to ask you all a little favour my aim is to reach as many people as possible with my weekly episodes and the only way that I can do that is with your help so if you're enjoying listening to the podcast and taking things away from it please hit the subscribe button share with friends and follow me on Instagram it really helps with growing the podcast which in turn helps me to get bigger guests and share their stories even further Emma Guns is a podcaster, fellow beauty obsessor, journalist and writer. She has worked for some of the biggest publications in the UK and I wanted to dig a little deeper into Emma's journey. Emma is someone that is all about self-improvement, but in a realistic way. She's not about showing the highlights of her journey, but a real life reflection of the highs and lows, and let's face it, they're both as important. In this episode, Emma tells her story of working with Red Label Publications and her ambition of getting her dream job for OK Magazine. We also chat about how beauty has evolved in the media. I share a lot of similar thoughts with Emma. I absolutely love her approach and realism, which is really evident when we chat about the current state of self-love and the whole world of manifesting. There's been a lot of conversation on the podcast lately about weight and how we feel about our bodies and it's becoming more and more apparent that so many of us feel quite similar when it comes to any conversation about body image. Emma and I also get quite deep about the way we feel about our bodies in this episode and have a really vulnerable and raw conversation about the relationship that we both have with our bodies, our weight and how we always fall back on binge eating. Here's Emma's version of beauty. I am so excited to share that this episode of the Scenes of Beauty podcast is sponsored by WeGlow. WeGlow is a fitness app at your fingertips. Its workouts and recipes are designed around your lifestyle and the app is all about building foundations that allow you to actually stick to your goals and enjoy achieving them. Did you know that 95% of New Year's resolutions are fitness related and only 9% of those people actually stick to the goals that they've set out to achieve? Sound familiar? I am a huge advocate of fitness and really do believe that movement plays a huge part in loving ourselves and building up our own confidence. I've been using the WeGlow app for the past year and it has completely changed my life and the relationship that I have with working out. The reason I love it so much is because it's adaptable based on your goals. There are options to take part in fitness challenges like their six-week restart challenge launching on the 9th of January. They also have a ton of other programs too or you can simply search their library of workouts to find something that's suitable to your mood on the day, which is how I tend to use it. My favourite programmes are always the full body ones. If you take working out a little more seriously, you can upload your photos to WeGlow, input your goals and track your workouts and calories, or you can use it a little more loosely as and when you work out or are in the need for some inspiration for a delicious recipe. WeGlow has given the Scenes of Beauty listeners an additional 20% off any of their subscription options when you sign up before the 28th of February using the code SCENES20. That's S-C-E-N-E-S 20. So simply head to their website at WeGlow.app, click subscribe and enter the code at checkout when you sign up for your new membership now.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
0: hi how are you yeah good thanks how are you <laughs> really well thank you I feel like we're um you're the podcaster here and <laughs> it's you're very weird
1: life. it's very weird it feels very um like she was on the other foot situation <laughs> yeah I feel like oh god I'm sitting in front of you I'm like oh what do I
0: ask <laughs> and I feel like I've got big shoes to fill
1: <laughs> well I, I'm already
0: impressed so you're fine <laughs> nice. you're fine um thank you for coming on pleasure it's, um I feel it's going to be a really interesting conversation um, for a few different reasons. I feel like you've got some really strong but insightful opinions on the beauty industry. You've obviously got a ton of knowledge. Um, and I also think a lot of what I talk about on scenes and on the podcast are things that you feel quite passionately about as well. So I think, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah, I
1: I, I think so too. <laughs>
0: um, do you want to intro yourself and give a bit of background about you who
1: you are yeah so my name is Emma Gunnar Wardner but I am most frequently known as Emma Guns because it's obviously a lot easier to say mm-hmm. and um, where is
0: your surname from
1: so Gunnar Wardner is from Sri Lanka Okay. and Guns came about because of Instagram and because of Caroline Hirons because when I joined Instagram I didn't want my full surname which is very complicated and looks nothing like it's pronounced to be my handle because that's very confusing. It's a stumbling block in normal life. So to add it onto, a, so I just Emma Guns. It's kind of a funny throwaway thing, mm-hmm. but it really, really took off in terms of lots of my friends started me calling me at Emma Guns. Caroline hirons has me in her phone as Guns. So when the podcast, when my podcast originally started, it was called the Beauty Podcast with Emma G. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that right? I'm now thinking, is that what it was originally called? there's so much time passed that I've got it wrong. So, yes, so I was going to rename the podcast. And yeah, it was the Beauty Podcast with Emma G, I think. I think so long ago <laughs> right now. And I was going to rename it. And I can't even remember what I was going to call it. But um, Caroline, I remember just chatting to Caroline and just like, well, I've got these names. Da, 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 and she just said, let's call it the Emma Gun Show. Mm-hmm. And because of Instagram, because of that, I just thought, actually, so many people either call me EG or Guns. And so it just thought, Yeah, I'll do it. I didn't really think have to think that hard about it. So the Emma Gunn Show is the name of the podcast. Lots of people know me as Emma Gunn's. So I've been doing the podcast for nearly seven years. And before that, uh, well, I've got twenty years as a beauty writer, beauty editor. So I was on glossy magazines and I've been freelance. I've written for broadsheets, red tops, glossy mags, online, whatever it might be. So yeah, I've done I've been around. You can say that, that's the expression. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And how how did you get into beauty or what was your first memory of beauty
1: working in beauty or just
0: just Just in in general god i think
1: everyone's i think it's i think most people's first memory of beauty has to do with like watching your mom do their makeup right yeah um and thinking i want to try that and then being told that you cannot and you cannot understand why why you couldn't put that goo on your face too young for makeup yeah yeah and i just was transfixed by the prettiness of pretty things this is all very basic yeah But in terms of my working my career and getting into beauty, um, I actually didn't think I was going to be able to, because from a very young age, I was not smart enough to do uh, an English degree. And in order to work on a magazine, to write for a national publication, you of course needed to have an English degree from a good university. And that was never going to happen for me. So I wasn't very bright at school, didn't do, I was not a very good exam taker. And so I just kind of wrote off the idea, but then fast forward, I did do a degree and I was in my first job and I just thought, this is crazy. Like someone else is living the life that I want. Someone else is the beauty editor on a magazine. And what I job were you in at this point? Just didn't want any specific job, but I just wanted to be writing about beauty for a magazine. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there were people in the world doing that. And I just thought, well, why can't it be me? Yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah. I quit my job and I went back to basics and I worked, did loads of work experience at local newspapers where my parents live because I moved back in with my parents mm-hmm. and I did work experience at OK magazine and then I went back and did work experience at OK magazine again then I went back and did it again and then I went did a lot of cover and then eventually I was there one week and I got my postgrad in journalism and things like that so I'm sort of condensing a very mm-hmm. uh, sort of 2 or 3 years yeah. but I was there doing work experience one week when the beauty editor resigned and there you, there there you go yeah I was in the right place, right place. at the right time yeah. And sort of put in enough grunt work to yeah. say look I really really want this yeah. so that was how my career started yeah really, in earnest
0: and you were writing about product and
1: well actually the beauty pages were really superficial it was two yeah. pages at the time it was a big celebrity shot on the left with get the look and the beauty editor at the time's assessment of what they thought the blusher and the foundation and whatever would be yeah and obviously you know now I mean I know now too but at the time even I didn't know but like you just say any old foundation yeah yeah yeah. like yeah as long as it was a similar color I guess um and then there would be like the odd quote from a hairdresser or something but it was very much product and there was and it was it was pictures so I didn't really actually get a very good education in how to write mm-hmm. because I just had to do name of the product price of the product and in 20 to 30 words in between Mm -hmm. something about and it was never I can't imagine it was ever actually very helpful (laughs) (laughs) I'm sort of laughing now I don't feel good about it I hasten to add but I just sort of think it was just surface level describing the product in a way that the brand would be really happy about
0: and I think it's um I mean we both know and and everyone listening to this also does that beauty's come on and got way way deeper than it ever Mm -hmm. has been before people are not only interested in it, they're invested in it. And it's almost a lifestyle now. So
1: it says something about who you are and what you stand for now in a way yeah. that it probably didn't before.
0: Yeah. So it makes sense that it was a lot more surface level, you know, all those years ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, to to their credit, I mean, I, that was just because of the nature of the magazine that I worked on. It was very celebrity focused. And that was where I spent many, many years actually, was focusing on the celebrity interviews. And, and that was a really good um, education, actually in learning a skill that I now use in my podcast obviously yeah. but um my colleagues like friends who who were on magazines maybe the monthlies had a bit more time to really like roll up their sleeves and get stuck into subjects and really did break a lot of the stuff that now I mean it wouldn't have been big news back at back it wouldn't be big news now but back in the day like one of my colleagues like 15 or 20 years ago doing a piece on hyaluronic acid you would have really had to have got that past your editor what do you mean moisture molecule why is that interesting no it is interesting because it's a problem solver but I don't think the tone of journalism particularly in the beauty space back then was really about problem solving Mm -hmm. and that's one of my favorite things about how it has evolved is that it is about what problem do you have that you need help with and guess what this might not just be a a physical thing or a superficial thing this might actually have a deeper impact and that's what I really like about where beauty can go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So you were at the magazine and then you did a bit on beauty. Did you go further into beauty and journalism?
1: No, so when I so I was there for ten years doing beauty and then fashion and celebrity. And I wasn't very good at fashion. (laughs) (laughs) But I really enjoyed doing the shoots and I enjoyed putting things together but like it's not my it's not my forte. Um the celebrity really was the stuff that I really enjoyed doing in the beauty. And then I left after 10 years and then I did do quite a bit of beauty stuff, but I also did a lot of consulting um, because I picked up a lot of contacts and a lot of knowledge. And when you're bombarded, particularly on a title that I was on where every single product would be sent to you or maybe not the prestige stuff, but you would hear about every single thing, it afforded you a really broad and unique perspective of the industry. Like a lot of my glossy magazine friends and colleagues had. And so, yeah, I did tons of consultancy and really kind of got to understand the business side of beauty as well, which I think Mm -hmm. is really important. And then I guess, yeah, I mean, I did a stint as a QVC guest presenter doing beauty stuff, which I actually loved. That was a fantastic school of how to... Because there's one thing that you, honestly, I don't think in my entire time on magazines or specifically, okay, I don't think I ever thought about the end user the reader
0: that's interesting
1: which is really terrible
0: yeah it's interesting because I've obviously got a marketing background and I try with the podcast to get the end user in mind mm. but equally they feel quite far removed don't they when they're in a when you when you're on a podcast whereas in marketing it's they're there they're talking to you and you take their feedback all the time and then mm. implement that into your next strategy so Consumers definitely an interesting one
1: I find that really interesting because for me doing a podcast it's like I I feel like there's absolutely no barrier it's just me and you
0: yeah I get that but I don't I think what I meant is in marketing you get feedback all the time right. like people are talking to you socials talking all the time you get oh, dms yeah, yeah. all the time you get emails about your products why is it not this big why does it do this this didn't work I don't like this can we have this in a bigger size so you get feedback constantly whereas I think on a podcast kind of know who i'm talking to i think i'm the target market for this because mm. a lot of it's p- for personal reasons yeah. why i even started it um but i kind of make it up in my head rather than have it factual mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah, yeah yeah
1: and so with QVC, it was great because for years i've been talking about products and it would always be about like making sure that i pulled out the thing that i know that the pr person i'd had lunch with when they told me about the product had like made the point of saying, well, this is really important about it because they that's a big win for them when they do their reports, when they go back and report all their coverage. But with QVC, you talk about a product and you have to put it in the hands of the user. You have to make the person who's watching the television show feel as though they've already bought it. Yeah. So if you're talking about a primer, for example, or something that minimizes your pause, you have to think, so what time of day am I on? Okay, I'm on at 6 o'clock in the, or 7 o'clock in the morning, for example. Actually, they don't They don't have um, shows then. <laughs> I'd get there at 7 o'clock. So, so it's a 9 o'clock show. You'd think, okay, maybe someone's just come back from walking the dog. Probably probably aren't going to do a commute. So then you might think, okay, so imagine this poor minimizer. It's amazing. You just put it on top of moisturizer. You put it on. It immediately refines your skin. You go out, you do your dog walk, and guaranteed you're going to bump into the neighbor who's going to say you're looking well. Yeah. So you have to create this emotional connection for the cause yeah, you because you want to... Whereas if you on at ten o'clock at night, you might take a different approach. So it that really made me understand that actually yeah. there's a whole new person that I needed to be speaking to that I hadn't been previously because I hadn't had to truthfully yeah. because media is self, it's a self fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? It's yeah. a kind of very, very well oiled machine, and so I'm really glad I had that time at QBC yeah. because it really it did. It's why I was, it's one of the reasons I felt. I could start a podcast and add something useful because I felt I'm like, I'm going to talk to people. I'm actually going to talk to them, not around them, not about, I'm going to talk to them.
0: Yeah. It isn't, it is quite um, an intimate form of communication, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: I do. Yeah,
1: I think to actually, I know with the podcast that I listen to, those people aren't just content creators. They are people that I trust with my time. I trust with my alone time. I really like quiet time and I really like, like I go on lots of long walks. I really like to go and listen to a podcast and when I like those people I take that really seriously. So by the same token I take my listeners time really yeah. really seriously because my show's an hour.
0: That's yeah. I'm asking someone to give me an hour of their week. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. I take it really
1: I I'm not going to serve up any nonsense. Yeah. Knowingly. <laughs> no no
0: no. No. And I feel I feel exactly the same. So the Emma Guns show kind of was born and mm. I guess the premise of it might have changed a little bit now from totally. from what it was. But what was the kind of objective when you started that?
1: The objective to begin with was to well actually to be honest, I didn't realise until a little while later. Yeah. I was really I've I was like a dog with a bone. I've got to start a podcast. And I started it and it was quite difficult in the beginning because the, the objective was, okay, well, I've been in beauty for 10 years at the time or 10, 12 years at the time. I will ask my beauty friends to come on the show and tell me how they started their businesses. Yeah.
0: And these were relationships from working at the magazine. Yeah, so
1: one like some of the earliest guests, well, uh, James Reed came on and did a couple of episodes. Um, lovely Michelle, who's unfortunately no longer with us from Alpha H, came on and talked about her brand, which is amazing with Tom. Um, so loads of friends. Even though they said, but what is this? Because yeah. at the time, the UK hadn't gotten onto podcasts in the way that we have now. And I'd been doing it for a little while. And then I realized I I actually wasn't doing very well my, in my own life. I was really struggling. Uh, work wasn't going very well. Wasn't making any money. I was clearly depressed. And it kind of all, like there was a bit of a moment that there was a crescendo. There was a breakdown, Chloe. Okay. And what I realized I'd actually been doing was sitting in front of successful people and asking them how they got got to where they are. Mm -hmm. It actually wasn't really about like, let's deconstruct your brand and take out the workings and see where the magic is. It was actually help me. And so I really, yeah, I really leaned into that because I thought I really did get so much out of those conversations with people because James Reed is a really good example. He's from Kent. I'm from Kent. He started a tanning brand obviously there were tanning brands that had been before but no what there was no blueprint for success and there was certainly no blueprint for success for, for him when he was trying to create the kind of brand that he was trying to create which at the time was really innovative innovative really innovative and he was taking tanning into a in a completely different space like he was taking it very premium yeah. but anyway I, I just kind of I realized I was taking so much from these conversations. So I really wanted to lean into that side of it. And it wasn't about mental health at the time. It was just basically like, tell me how you got over all the humps on the way. Because yeah, yeah. it seems like you're doing really well. Yeah. And I want someone to look at me and say, I'm doing really well. And I yeah. want to be able to pay it forward and say, oh yeah, because when I came across this BS, mm-hmm. I dealt with it in this way. I think that's really valuable. And I do think as well, we're all after mentors. I've, yeah. I've fallen into the trap of, uh, thinking that lots of people have the answers when actually they don't, yeah, and I all just swinging it. Every everyone's there yeah. are so many grifters out there, and this yeah. is one of the reasons I'll talk about in a second why this show is really evolving, because there are, I think all of us feel a bit lost and confused,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whatever front we put on. Yeah. Nobody we... tells
0: you how to adult. Nobody, nobody can ever prepare you for what to expect as an adult because we change and d- and develop. Yeah. I feel like I do every day at the minute anyway like it's it's a lot you know. Yeah.
1: And I think I think as well I don't know about you but I've had a really um a really awful relationship with mistakes. Yeah. In that I would rather not mm. than make a mistake. Okay. Which means that I've sort of been paralyzed by my overanalysis in the past It's like well I don't want well that's a really big risk and Where does that come from? Oh, God knows I'm mean, we haven't got long enough <laughs> and we probably need we probably need someone with a psychology um, degree yeah but no, but I definitely I'm scared of I'm I'm scared of looking stupid I'm scared of mistakes I'm scared of failure so for a long time I haven't done things I've I've yeah. stood on this I've sat on the sidelines and I wanted to stop living on the sidelines of my own goddamn life yeah and actually this is the beauty, I think, of beauty and whatever conversation. If you actually have a conversation with anybody, they have developed a toolkit to help with this. Mm-hmm. And hearing someone else's story sometimes can be, you might think that how, how on earth could I relate to anything so-and-so might say? And then you hear something and you're like, oh my God, that's it. That, I, that's, yeah. I've got a completely new tool in my toolkit now to be able yeah. to handle stuff.
0: And I think the more you're exposed to different types of people at whatever level. um, But in my career, I've been lucky enough to work with the general manager of Estée Lauder, but also someone else's PA, but also being a junior and having exposure. But then now I work in influencer and I meet quote unquote celebs all the time and I work with them um, and it, what you realize is that everyone is just a person, like regardless of status, regardless of wealth, regardless of whatever, everyone is just a person and everyone is just doing what they, how they know, what they know how every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's um, it's absolutely true. That's really interesting actually. Cause I think I also thought that there was, um, there was a hierarchy. Yeah. So with the I general manager, I would be quite, I would immediately, yeah. they'd walk in the room and I'd be intimidated before they said a word. Yeah because I because I attached, without them even saying anything or doing anything, I attached a level of importance to them yeah. that they didn't bring into the room, I brought it into the yeah. room. And actually by bringing their importance into the room, I, brought, I also brought into the equation my own subservience, if you like. Yeah. So I had to really think about that, because I do sometimes look at people who are like, I don't care if you're the richest man in the world, or you're a pauper, I'm going to treat everyone the same. And I'm like, but how? Because yeah. I feel, I think I was raised to think that and it comes to from school, isn't it? You know, the head headmaster or headmistress yeah. walks past, you stand against the wall and wait for them to go. that's ki- That kind of ceremony stuff, yeah. I think, gets really hardwired. And then, yeah, you have to break it down a bit, Yeah. whilst still affording respect to those who deserve it.
0: Yeah. I equally think um, this is something I wouldn't say I've struggled with, but throughout work, I've always had the thing of, regardless of status or level, like everyone deserves the same amount of respect, which I think is quite... It's helped me. It's also hindered me a little bit because I think I've always spoke to people on the same level, Mm -hmm. which when you're in beauty, I think it is changing, but I do think when you're in in a beauty brand, people at the top, so to speak, I do think they're, or they feel that they're required to be spoken to on a different level or from my experience
1: maybe what, what uh what do you mean just they you feel like they
0: i think i've worked in i've worked in like big big brands and there's definitely that hierarchy of people mm. expect a certain response when they're at the top i've also worked in independent brands where it's quite a flat structure and everyone's kind of just mm. getting their hands stuck in so i do think it's quite dependent on where you're at and where yeah. the, the surroundings that you're in
1: yeah i would i would concur yeah i think you're absolutely right yeah
0: Sorry, so we were talking about the podcast mm-hmm. and we digress.
1: Yes, because we were talking about, so, yes, I... Being inspired and... Being inspired by all these people. So the the shows naturally evolved to take on the topics that were actually wider than beauty that were really important to me. So I got a lot of um, doctors on to talk about hormones, for example. Yeah. So, like, seven years ago, I was creating episodes... Six years ago, I keep saying seven. Six years ago, creating episodes about the menopause and everything, which obviously we know now at the time, like... Yeah, there was some interest, but now there's a huge yeah. interest. Um, talking about things like breath work, meditation. So really just kind of leaning into all of that stuff that can be really helpful yeah. and support you if you are struggling or if you are. Yeah. Um, I think I mean, I don't know. About you, I think everyone's like struggling with a sense of overwhelm, especially now or like sensory overload. pressure, And so we so I would kind of investigate these things that could help. And that's how the show's about. And I really love speaking to people who I'd never get a chance to speak to otherwise. So that's yeah. why I've had like one of President Obama's former security personnel. Really? That's interesting. A woman called Evie Pompouris. My God.
0: Okay. I've listened to quite a few of your episodes. but I haven't listened she to She
1: is unbelievable. Okay. She didn't just work I'll with Lincoln. the Obama's. She worked with Bush's junior and senior and the Clintons. I'm okay. And she has stood next to them fully prepared that if yeah. a gun goes off she is getting between it and the president yeah. or the first lady and that her mental fortitude blows my mind yeah that's interesting. she's an incredible woman and I've also had Chris Voss on who was former head of negotiations for the FBI mm-hmm. and he's parlayed his expertise in kidnap negotiation for example and hostage negotiation into business negotiation mm-hmm. and that's it's interesting. Fascinating. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And I love all of that stuff. But what's happened recently, and I think COVID and the lockdown that we had, so I think that things have really changed. And I think COVID and the lockdowns allowed for something actually really sinister and unhelpful, mm-hmm. which has made me have a bit of a, not even a bit of a rethink, have a major rethink about what content I put out into the world because. A lot of people had a chance to reevaluate their lives. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people became life coaches.
0: Yeah, I have an interesting. Yeah, we'll move on to it. We'll put a pin in
1: that. Yeah. So, a lot of, but a lot of people have found, have elevated themselves to positions of guru status, is probably the, the, I'm being inarticulate here, but they are giving advice. And accepting the reverence that they get from people resonating yeah. with the advice that they're giving. Yeah. And I don't think they have any position with which to actually be sharing what they're sharing in the way that they are. And I think that what podcasting did, not just mine, podcasting in general, American, a lot of American ones as well. What they did was platform really incredible, qualified people who wouldn't get into magazines, newspapers and in mainstream media. And it opened up the floor to some really interesting educational information being shared far and wide that was really helpful. What's happened now is there are a lot of grifters out there who are like, hi, I'd like to speak to your listeners because I turn my life around and I can give them my five step plan for how they can turn theirs around. And it has zero substance, zero substance. So and I can really lean into that in a second. But I'm rethinking I've rethought the podcast because I've thought I'm going to run out of guests. And yet I'm being inundated with these people, which means I'm putting, I'm attracting what I'm putting out. Yeah. So I need to have so, a rethink. And so um, there's a new structure coming to the podcast. What's this space?
0: That's <laughs> exciting. Thank you. Um, and I will, I will link the podcast in the show notes because you've definitely had some interesting guests on and, and some interesting stories to tell. So I'll, I'll put it, I'll Thank put you. it down. Thank you. Um, yeah. Interesting. You mention about, I do, I did say it in the beginning, um, there are a lot of things that you talk about and I think have opinions on that I relate to a lot, like the live coaching thing, I think. So let's move into that because it's definitely an interesting space mm-hmm. on social for sure. And I think I was a bit guilty of going down the path of do this, don't do that at one point. And I was like, whoa, 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 you're not a, you cannot be telling these people do this, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually feel sometimes pressure from social media to be meditating be seeing a therapist be breathing walking eating right and I am like whoa this is exhausting yeah. to even think about yeah. um but yeah on life coaching it's interesting you mentioned because I was actually going to write something about it on social media and I was like let me just think about it before mm. I post anything because I do think it can get people in quite a dangerous path Mm -hmm. I've actually interviewed a couple of people on this podcast and not put the episodes out just because I didn't feel comfortable in the substance that that was shared within them because
1: well done that's really hard
0: I just don't feel comfortable putting conversations out there that I don't feel have the adequate level of expertise in them um
1: Doesn't make you very popular. I did that recently and I was like, (laughs) I can't publish this. And it I was met with
0: (laughs) (laughs) They were not happy. (laughs) No, no, when I get it, but equally it's your reputation on the line, isn't it? And it's what you feel comfortable putting out within your forum. Totally. I just
1: think if the objective is to be helpful, yeah. Then then be helpful. Yeah. And I think that requires anyone who's creating content, you, me, whoever. To have a to have a filtration system, to yeah. have a level of discernment, and if you think someone's full of crap, it's appropriate to not platform them.
0: Yeah.
1: With all of that said, obviously we all have different thoughts and feelings and views, but I just it's just become really heavy recently. Yeah. This kind of self help space, it's like this time two years ago, or let's just say three years ago, just to be optimistic and just maybe fair, there were no menopause products in the beauty space there were no specific or maybe praded one but maybe that that, but then but it wasn't like it was now for sure now there are tons of products that have been formulated for menopausal skin on the market this is not because of a breakthrough in innovation this is not because of any really big change in formulation or any big scientific breakthrough this is because brands have realized that menopausal women have money and will spend it
0: yeah yeah
1: and I'm sorry to be cynical, no, no. but that's it. And I think a similar thing has happened with self-help. Like a lot of people leaned really heavily on the crutches of meditating. Um, and it's not even, dare I say, I think a lot of it is all of these things like breathing, walking, it becomes performative yeah. as opposed to helpful. Yeah. So if you're going to meditate, it doesn't have to look a certain way. You don't have no. to be wearing Lululemon. You don't have to light a candle. <laughs> you don't have to have a crystal.
0: No, it, you don't have to sit with your knees crossed and it's uncomfortable. Like. I meditate
1: on the train. Yeah. And actually, I was really bothered today by a woman called Valerie who was talking at the top of her voice. <laughs> but that's how I meditated because that's what it's supposed to look and feel. Well, not yeah. supposed to look and feel like, but it's supposed to work for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, And
1: my commute is when it works for me. So I do feel as though through lockdown... All of these things were really platformed and manifesting. I mean, I can get, I don't know how you are with language on here, but I can get like a docker when I think about people. And I I think as well, the other thing is, and I'm going to take a breath. I think the other thing is that, take, for example, manifesting. And think about the ideal life that you want. Think about the career that you want. Think about the job that you want. Think about the kind of car that you want. Think about the handbag that you want. All of these things. And then it will come into, if you ask for it, if you believe it, you'll receive it. I detest that because I use, I think I used to think that was something that happened to other people. Yeah. Some people were just born under a lucky star and they could think, oh, I want to be a beauty editor and they could have yeah. it. And I'm sure that wasn't the case, but I used to think that the world is really easy for people. Yeah. And one of the things I really enjoy about myself <laughs> is that I work really hard for everything that I have.
0: Yeah.
1: And it took me a long time to realise that hard work was part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I really did want things to fall into my lap. Yeah. And this idea that we're perpetuating a type of activity where you're where you're not talking about hard work. You're not talking about having a sense of what you're good at and what you're not good at. You're not talking about having determination you're not talking about taking a mental and emotional audit about where you are you're just saying just believe it yeah and it never ever comes from someone in a, in a city who works in a fast food chicken shop no. it always comes from very privileged people You yeah. have a lovely life yeah so no I reject it
0: no I agree and I um have explored like most people or a lot of people have explored manifesting and meditating breathing and for a minute I was like f all of that I'm not into like I got so so bogged down to it that I felt it was more of a hindrance than help and I felt pressured to do it however what I have learned is I'm someone who struggled with self-belief how I have taken manifesting and regurgitated it in my own way is if I believe I can have something it just spurs me on to to believe that I'm worthy of it so then I can go after it whereas before I'm from a household whereas if I said to my mum oh I want to be a pilot she'd be like "Eh, leave that to someone else you know like she just didn't believe in me and so or everything was for the people over there not for me like I I moved to London and I didn't tell anyone because I knew what the response would be you know you're not going to go there like we're from a small town Mm -hmm. in Yorkshire and it just wouldn't have ever happened not that my parents were you know I had a great child not taking anything away from them but I just didn't believe that if I wanted to have a podcast for example with amazing guests on every week that I could do it um and so what it has done is helped me believe that things can happen if that makes any sense
1: yeah and I think that's interesting because you, you said I used to have a pro you used the past tense when you talked about self-belief, which makes so I'm like, Yeah, tell me how you got over that. <laughs> yeah. And that it's now something in the past. But I do think that that's a that's a different thing. That's goal setting.
0: Yeah.
1: It's this and I think that that's really valuable. I yeah. think setting a goal and saying, right, I'm gonna do this and this yeah. is my time scale and I'm gonna be realistic about that. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. I think the manifesting element I just don't like is this idea that you can pluck it out of thin air. Yeah. But if I said to you I haven't said this to anyone, but um, <laughs> I want to get into the movies. I want to become an actress, and I said it to you. And then I go to Soho House, and I'm sitting in the bar, and I tell it to my friend. And the guy next to me is a producer, and overhears and was like, "Oh, like, yeah, that is not manifesting. That yeah. is just being in the. That is kind of like the luck Chance, of your situation yeah. and, and circumstance. So I think when when you do get people who are obviously from who who are very comfortably off, you have quite a picture perfect life, and they present that picture perfect life in an even more beautiful way on Instagram saying that if you just ask the universe for it, it will be delivered. It's like, you are not acknowledging your privilege. You are not acknowledging your advantage. yeah, You are not acknowledging that you're at a completely different starting point yeah. from probably 99% of the world. And it's really arrogant of you to be like, and I'm the queen of it. Or I'm the, or I, it's just
0: what? Yeah. It's, it's interesting for sure. And I think, I've been thinking about this a lot and social media and what it takes to be quote unquote successful on social media or to build a following or whatever. And a lot of that is to be aspirational. It is. Which is interesting because are we following them or magnetizing to them? Because we want to be like them, which is a weird thought in my mind. mm. no i don't it's just uh
1: i mean the way i look at it is this because as somebody who creates content i don't know how it is for you
0: yeah
1: i don't chase numbers
0: no no i used to when i first started it's so tempting it's so tempting and it's hard when you first start because like i mean my numbers don't go up and it's very small at the moment but i used to stress about every day all my friends in social media i have influencer friends and i'm like how are you doing Mm. this like i can't do it how are you doing it and now I'm more bothered about the quality of content that I put out and being consistent. For me, I it's can. about
1: quality. And I'm sure there's, there is something to be said for you can, be co- you can have quality and have consistency. But um, I, they're just numbers. Mm, and yeah. it's great to have an engaged following. It's great to have a big following, obviously. Yeah. But I was at dinner last night with Elemis and Noella Gabriel, who owns the brand, said, I just love the authenticity of your voice yeah I would rather someone said that to me than oh my God, you've got a million followers yeah the people who've got a million followers who I know graft like nothing else yeah they are graft as Lorna Lux is one she has the most incredible following her feed is incredible, but my God, that woman works hard yeah, yeah. she really really does yeah. have nothing but respect for her and I think you have to establish what you want to be and who who you want to reach and I just every time I put something out, there's a real urge and a reflex like oh I wonder if this will get likes and then I think Actually, I just hope whoever needs to read that today sees it, it. Yeah. Or if they don't see it, someone who they know sends it to them and says, Yeah. I think you might need this. Yeah. Oh, this reminded us of the conversation we were having.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting space for sure. Um, just going back to kind of when you were introducing yourself and you were talking about being at school or and not being so academic or mm. I don't I can't remember the exact phrase that you use
1: it probably would have I I don't remember either but I was I just wasn't very good at exams but I also wasn't engaged at all with school I wanted to be a backing singer with Guns N' Roses and the fact that I had to go to school got in the way of that
0: yeah so you were where did that did that come from purely just wanting to be musical or creative in a different way
1: Oh, it, I don't think I am the right. I'm a visual learner. Yeah. I'm not a study learner. Like my brother's very academic and he can, he absorbs information like nothing else. We are polar opposites in that way. So he can read something and he will understand it very clearly and very quickly. I can read something and I'll have to go back over the same paragraph. Quite a, Not quite a lot. Like it, sometimes it's like I, I do need to be hammered over the head with some things when I'm reading it. But if you put me in front of, say, I don't know, a cooking program and Nigella does a full Christmas roast, I can watch it once and I'm like, right, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very good with stuff like that. I'm very yeah. practical. i I can I when I was moving house a couple of years ago, I bought a load of IKEA furniture and I loved it. So I'd lay out everything. <laughs> I don't
0: know if I've ever heard anyone say I'd that. lay
1: out all the pieces, I'd get the instructions, I'd read the instruction manual once, and then I'd start a timer. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd basically be like Bet you I can put this together in another forty-five <laughs> minutes. That kind of stuff, I'm really good at. I am really, I'm, I'm very handsy. I'm sort of smart in that way, yeah. but just in terms of being book smart, no, not yeah. at all. And sort of, and I feel, and it is something that I think still to this day, I just like. Oh, I wish I could pick things. I like. I do sometimes. That's why I think I started a podcast because I, if I hear it from somebody, yeah, and they can do an analogy, and that analogy involves keanu reeves then i'm gonna get it (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i mean if they can sort of make make me see it and feel it yeah then i was reading something today do you know there's actually a thing where you can so in your mind's eye if i say to you in your mind imagine an apple Mm -hmm. can you see an apple
0: so i struggle with this because i do visualizations sometimes i actually think they're quite fun Mm. to like lay and i can see i always go to the same house always and it's really strange I can visualize but the vi- I don't know if this makes any sense it's the only way I know how to articulate the visualizations kind of over there so I know what it should look like but I can't actually see it it's in it. your
1: peripheral vision so yeah. you don't have a clear view of it okay yeah. so I okay so this is blowing my mind so this morning I was reading a book uh, Richard Herring's book actually he talks about the fact so his mind's eye is blind so, so if okay. he so he can't visualize an apple that's interesting whereas for me my brain is constantly full of pictures constantly yeah. full super of super images cool. mm-hmm. so to read that this morning i had to have a sit down yeah. so i was like i didn't even think that this wasn't the case for
0: everybody that's, yeah that's blown my mind actually i'll
1: find out the name of it and i'll message you because it's got a name and i've forgotten it see because i can't i can read something yeah. but i can't pick out and remember the my new show. but yeah. if i watch i don't know vh1 behind the music about no doubt i remember every single <laughs> thing <laughs>
0: Um, I am. <laughs> and you've always been that way you've always like throughout did you go to college and stuff
1: yeah I went to university but um I don't remember anything
0: that's strange isn't it
1: I had to go I know th- and I feel terrible saying that because when I went it was when getting into a university was much easier and it was much less expensive so I feel really bad saying that now but I went to university because if I hadn't it would have been really embarrassing
0: From a family perspective. From a family perspective, yeah.
1: I would have felt, I would have really felt like I let my family
0: down terribly. Yeah. And how, so how did that feel like, did that feel like pre going to uni, was that like a pressure to go?
1: It wasn't a pressure, it was just expected. expected. And I thought, I'd always just scraped by. Mm -hmm. So I always, I kind of thought that I'd just scrape by and get into uni and I didn't actually. And I got my A-level results and it was like, oh God. And I drove down to the nearest university and said, please let me in. And to cut a very long story short, they did.
0: Yeah. What did you study?
1: Sociology. That's
0: interesting. Interesting that you studied sociology and then you went to more of a journalist.
1: So when I went down to the university and said, please let me in, and I literally bowed, please please let me in, He said, I've got two spaces, one doing theology and one doing sociology. And I said, what's theology? And he said, okay, so it's going to be sociology. (laughs) (laughs) So there wasn't any thought. Honestly, it was just about getting Getting in. in. And there was no thought about it whatsoever. Mm. As soon as I knew that I couldn't do English, I was like, I'll do do anything. I'll do anything just to get in.
0: Yeah. So the plan was, sorry, I feel like I'm going around the houses here, but... I'm trying to, you wanted to do English, but then you weren't so academic, but then the English was to go down a journalist route. Yeah,
1: so I couldn't, so to get into a university to read English, you had to get sent like three Bs at the time or yeah. A and two Bs or something. That was never going to happen. I got a C and two Ds in the end. Um, so, and they, that was very clear even from my GCSEs. I was never going to get to be able to do English. So it was kind of written off then. Yeah. So it was only when I was 23 that I was working in a sales job, earning really good graduate salary, but just miserable. And I just thought, this isn't going to be the rest of my life, is it? Yeah. This is terrible. Yeah. But I can see how it becomes intoxicating. Get a job, get a house, get a mortgage, like all of that. I was like, no, I I've, I've genuinely want to go to the Elle Style Awards and I want yeah. to be writing about beauty products. And I would like to go to the Cannes Film Festival with L'Oreal. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I've done all of those things.
0: <laughs> Congrats. Because it's, uh, I do agree with you. I think it's quite scary. And I moved, out. I I was going down that path of, I just accepted that home was where I was. And that was, that was the life. And you, I had a boyfriend for five years. And then you think about getting married and having kids. And luckily now it all, we broke up and it all went downhill. And, and then I moved here. But for a lot of people, that doesn't happen, and they not that it's right or wrong, but like they get married and they have kids at twenty, young, like in their early twenties, and then they just go throughout this life on autopilot. Yeah, I know, I know. I think I I know exactly what you mean.
1: I was visiting my parents a few months ago um, at the back end of the summer, and we were walking through. They live in a really small village down in Kent, and we were walking through this new housing development. And it was so pretty. Yeah. Like all of the houses, that are all really cottagey. They've all got the same color front door and it's like this sort of like sage green. I was like, oh my God, this looks like something. I have a postcard. And I remember turning to my dad and saying, if this had been here when I was 21 and I'd left university, this would have been what I would have aspired to. Yeah. I would have thought, I need to be in one of those houses. And like you say, there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. No, there's not. But actually, I had the same feeling about getting on a magazine.
0: Yeah
1: that was that was honestly more important to me than anything else. I weirdly, a few a few months ago, um, I lived near a big park and I love doing like a few circuits of it at the weekend, like getting thousands and thousands of steps in and just mm-hmm. kind of like having a good old think. Sometimes I listen to a podcast, getting loads of fresh air in my lungs. I bumped into an old uni friend and she's still in touch with all of the people that I was in touch with. And I lost touch with a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because I did, I put my job first for a long time. Yeah. And... All of the times when I was invited to weddings for friends, people who I knew, I was like, oh, I can't. I'm doing so-and-so's wedding, meaning I was covering a celebrity wedding. Yeah. And so gradually over time, you just phase yourself out. And I don't, I regret it in some ways, obviously. Had the time of my life. But like, I had a really good time. But I was very, very focused on that goal. Yeah. I really wanted to get better at my job. I really wanted to do a good job. And I really wanted to advance. And for me, I just didn't think that I could have both. Yeah, It was almost like I had to make, no one made me make the choice. Yeah. But something in me was like, you have to give, I don't know if you have this, you have to give 100% to it. You can't give 70% to that and 30% to that. It has to be 100% if you're serious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes with media jobs, maybe particularly back when I started. Yeah. Because it was, the devil wears Prada trope is true. There are a million girls who will do that job and they'll do it for less money and so you don't feel as though you can ever take your eye off.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think when you, especially when you are from a small town or whatever, um, some of those brands at, at times feel unreachable. So when you get in one, you can't let it go. Yep. You cannot let that go. You've got to be there. You've got to be on your A game and you've got to live the lifestyle because that's what you always wanted, right? Yeah, like yeah. It, it kind of is just that way. And then what you said there about like sacrificing social situations, I feel like I'm in that, Spot at the minute with the podcast because it's going well and things are starting to happen for it. And I'm a bit like, if I tip my foot off the gas now, it's when am I, when am I going to get it back on? So there's things, you know, I work on it pretty much every day after work, and then I have like a half day off on a weekend. But the rest of the time, I just do it, and I'm comfortable sacrificing social things for a few years because if this goes in the direction I would like it to, then it will all pay off. And it's mm. and it's and I'm passionate about it, and I enjoy it. I think it's, it crosses the line where you're doing something for a reason that's not within you or because it's a, an expectation of somebody else. Or yeah. you Well, this is for
1: you. Be. This is your podcast. This, yeah, is, your, yeah. this is your business ultimately. Sure. So if you say, do you know what, for the next three years, the social yeah. stuff is going to take yeah. a back seat, That's one thing, but I did it for 10 years yeah. and it furnished someone else. It lined someone else's pocket.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I actually wasn't making any money.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was barely breaking even at the end of the month.
0: Do you regret that? good question um because you had a good job you were living the life
1: I think it was my dream job that I never thought in a million years I'd have a hope of getting so when I got it like you said I gripped it with both hands and I would not let it go um I I look back now and I wouldn't make the same decision now, but only because I know, I know better.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think if you were to put me back in, a, like if you were to go back in time, I think I'd make the same decisions.
0: Yeah.
1: In a lot of it, because you you don't know any different. It is an incredible opportunity. I wish I had known that it would have been prudent to move around more, to mm. have switched magazines, to go to interviews. But it was very much like, it was kind of like, okay versus the world. It felt like, um, it was, to... was
0: it the biggest? It was the biggest, biggest selling pitch. weekly magazine yeah.
1: by far. Yeah,
0: I was gonna say. It's...
1: Like my era was the era when it was selling over a million a week. Yeah, when Gosh. it would do, when we do weddings, like we were selling well over five hundred thousand a week, which is yeah. huge, yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. Like no magazine even touches that these days. Yeah. So it was, and it was a cultural phenomenon. I remember I was in a hotel the morning of Jordan and Peter's wedding, and I was at a stay or just stay there overnight because obviously we were working at the wedding the next day. And I turned on the news and it was all about Jordan and Peter. We're talking about the news. Yeah. And then I turned on, I think it was SMTV at the time. Or CD UK. God, those were the days. And they were talking about Katie and Peter's wedding. Yeah. And then I put it on like, and every single channel was referencing it. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm on my okay. way. Yeah. I'm on my way to that. Yeah. It was very, very bizarre. So I don't regret it for the Emma then. Yeah. I think that was appropriate. I do wish I had known more about how to look after money. Yeah. <laughs> and how yeah. to save and I just wish I had maybe thought about yeah, about the future yeah. and about this is great, but what's next because you're not, you're never going to retire or you're like yeah. money's going to be an issue and money has been an issue in my freelance career like soon as I left there was nothing there were very, there wasn't much of a safety cushion so it was kind of like it was a lot of scrapping and scrabbling and hard work and mistakes and this that and the other Yeah. so um but that's all stuff that I say to anybody now it's like just deal with your finances learn about it work with a wealth management company if you have the means to Who can actually like navigate navigate you yeah. through it and also maybe get you a portfolio so that one of the most emotional things that's ha- that's happened to me this year, I work with a wealth management company and they do this timeline and they're like, so based on you retiring today, based on everything that you've got now, this is how much money you'd have. And it's like, you'd have nothing. You'd be on the streets. Goodbye. <laughs> if we make this adjustment, then that date moves to then. And then if we make this adjustment, this date, and I watch them do this presentation. And obviously they're not going to say anything terrible. Watch them do this presentation. And by the end of it, it's like, actually if you make some really smart choices and if you do this and if you do that and if we can work towards this the future's not the future's not going to be as financially terrifying as it is if you just carry on doing what you're doing yeah. and that's really empowering yeah that's self-help yeah rubbing a crystal is not self-help no getting on top of your finances knowing how to budget knowing how to like that is the stuff we should be arming people with yeah. not what crystals have you got no
0: i hear you <laughs> It's mad that we don't learn that kind of stuff in school. I mean, it's a ripe old age statement, isn't it? But mm. it's crazy to me that we don't leave school with that knowledge.
1: T- completely, 100%. It just seems absolutely bonkers. I'm sure there's some logic to it, but I need it. Someone needs to draw me a picture.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't understand it either. Um, what is your relationship like now with social media? Um,
1: good question. I took a bit of a... I didn't realise, but this year, I actually kind of very naturally and very gradually started to spend less time creating content. Mm-hmm. So in lockdown, there were no there were no time pressures. So I was constantly doing a video here, video there. I was doing the podcast. I was doing this. I was doing a post. But they were mostly like... I would just like put on nice makeup, do my hair, take a picture and go, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> um... And time became a bit more of an issue this year and I just stopped doing that. And I used to do a thing called three in, three out where I'd like talk about the three products that I'd received and reviewed that week and the three that I was going to do next week. People really liked it, but actually it was a logistical nightmare. I just didn't have the time because sometimes the products didn't arrive or they did and I'd be like, oh God, this is rubbish. I don't want to say it's rubbish because it's only my, anyway. So a couple of months ago, I was chatting to someone who just said to me, you know, I looked at your your, uh, Instagram the other day if I didn't know you, I wouldn't know you had a podcast. If I just looked at your Instagram, I wouldn't know you had a podcast. I was like, oh my God, really? Mm. And because it was before I was doing the video clips. Yeah. So I just used to do a still life image. But then I don't know about you, when you but when you put up an image of a guest saying new episode, it gets the least interaction of any post mm-hmm. that I put up. It's like 14 likes, but I put up a selfie of me. It's like 1,400. Yeah. So it's like, well, why bother? So I'd kind of got into the point of if it's not working, I won't post it. And I just thought, right, I'm going to. And the other thing they said is, I don't know what you stand for. I listen to the podcast. I've got a really good sense of who you are and what your moral compass is and the things you like and the things that you don't like. When I hit your Instagram, I don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. You're vanilla. And so I thought, oh, well I don't want to be vanilla because I do have opinions. I just don't want I don't want to be criticized for having them.
0: Yeah I had an interesting conversation because I'm new I never had any desire to be on social media so much but I am passionate about this and I'm passionate about making it into something and I do a bit of LinkedIn because I've had quite an interesting career and I've been lucky enough to work for some brands and get like good exposure to some things um so I do talk about stuff on there and um a guy commented on something I wrote I can't remember what it was something about work experience I, I basically said it like I had a not a well-paid job when I was uh, younger but I did you know a lot I would talk about work ethic and stuff and these two middle-aged guys just gunned mm-hmm. for me and I was like oh my god I can't and it, for, for weeks it was on my mind and I was like do I stop everything and then I've got a mentor now and she was like Chloe if you've you, it's two comments like mm-hmm. if you want to go down this path that skin's gonna have to get a lot thicker and I was like
1: also, two middle-aged men. There's nothing no, on I social know. media they like to attack young. <laughs> I remember my, my old Twitter handle before Emma Guns used to be G underscore beauty. I mm-hmm. think it was the G beauty podcast or something. Yeah. And I replied to, I love films, and so I often listen to Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo's film podcast. Yeah. And I replied something Mark said, and some, one of his followers said to me, oh, so you think you're beautiful, do you? Don't you think that's, don't you think that's something for other people to say? And it was just, it was so attacking out of the gate. And again, middle-aged man on social media. And I just thought, well, it's just the section that I used to write for in a magazine. But you, it's really upset you. You don't want a woman saying that she's beautiful. That's not what I was saying. It literally was. M-A-G underscore beauty as in beauty section. Mm. But yeah, um, I, I think the thing that I find hardest is majority of people who say anything nasty to me. And I'm very lucky because I tend to be a little bit in the middle about things. I don't express an opinion. I'm I am leaning into it, so it has happened a bit more recently. Is there's normally two reactions that you have when you get a comment. One is you just think under your breath, dickhead. Mm-hmm. And then you screenshot it and you send it to all of your mates and you <laughs> <in the> dickhead. Because <laughs> I mean loads of my WhatsApp conversations of people who have on social media WhatsApping some stupid comments someone's made going, what a prick. Yeah. And um but it's all kept very private. Or there's this thing that happens where they say something and they do get under your skin a little bit, and you yeah. think, oh, oh, no, I'm gonna make my point. And I've done it a couple of times, and actually, it never, it, it, it's just the best thing to do is delete and ignore. Yeah. It's like if you get an email that you don't like. Obviously, you can't apply this to everything in life because sometimes you do have to accept that you're in the wrong or that yeah. you need to rethink what you've said or done. But if you get someone being particularly narky or rude or trying to start a fight, block and delete so I had somebody it's a great example a male personal trainer in the summer messaged me asking if I wanted him to give me free fitness training Mm -hmm. and his whole thing was like healthy at any size or something or healthy every size and I was like oh that's really interesting thank you for the offer I, I actually do all my own workouts I've got coaches but can I just ask I'm really interested. I've never spoken to somebody who says healthy every size and does fitness training and he explained a bit and I was like oh thanks and I didn't, it didn't really align with what I believe, so I just kind of left it, but I was really interested in what he said. Anyway, a little while later, on one of my Ask Me Anythings, on my Instagram stories, I talked about four fitness trainers, five fitness trainers who I've worked with, speak to, know personally, and have had great results with. So Zana Van Dyke, Alice Living, Gillian Michaels, Chloe Maidley, and Emma Story Gordon, who I, all have firsthand, I have first-hand experience with all of them of their training being fantastic and great resources. I think they all put together incredible content Mm -hmm. and he's back in my DMs saying they're all white women. I hope all of your followers are white women. And I'm like, well, I'm not white. you ding dong. Like I'm thinking, so he's, he's, and he's really angry and then start, and then basically starts picking a fight. And I engaged with it because I thought you've really misunderstood this. Yeah. And part of me thought, uh, all it was going to take is one reply, and you're going to you're going to you're going to see what I was really saying. Yeah, but he just wanted a fight, and he was really passive aggressive. <laughs> so, yeah. and actually, I sent it to a very big. I'll say, I say I said sent it to Caroline Hirons, and she said, "Take his name off and post that, so people can see the shit that women on social media yeah. put up with from men." Yeah, because it was so just, it was so pathetic. So I just sort of think. The mistake I made there was indulging him by replying. Yeah. So if someone says anything pathetic or stupid or comments in a way, I just delete it. It it depends. Like if they're like, for example, if I do something on Philip Kingsley hair loss, because I've talked about having alopecia and everything. If somebody says, well, this is really expensive. It's like, well, yeah, you've got a really good point there. It is expensive. Not everybody can afford it. Yeah. But you're giving away. I think what trolls tend to do is give away so much about themselves. Yeah in their comment they show what they're unhappy about yeah. like someone had a go at me about saying that i feel really comfortable in my body and they say yeah but you had a breast reduction you didn't declare it
0: don't you think you should have declared it and i'm just sort of
1: like you're missing the point but yeah. because you because of your issues not because of mine yeah yeah i can't I do help th- you
0: with that i do think it says a lot more about them and their insecurities and their mindset than the person that they're often attacking
1: yeah and i can't help i can't help them with that
0: no no
1: and if they don't like what I'm saying, I just I'll wear that and be like, yeah, they don't like it. Yeah. But I'm not gonna engage with it.
0: Mm. Yeah. I asked you what your relationship is like with social media. What's your relationship like right now with beauty and beauty standards? What do you mean by beauty standards? Because I think I think they've changed a lot in terms of diversity. Um in terms of communication, in terms of what brands are putting out, in terms of aesthetics, models, talent they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just was keen to understand your thoughts on that and how it's changed or progressed and like the state of it currently.
1: I feel like the state of it currently is that the pendulum kind of swung one way and now it's just gone boing back to the 90s because yeah. you've gone back into really stick thin, yeah. And it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. He doesn't know, know what better.
0: it's. I don't think, I think the answer is, well, I don't know if it is the answer, but he doesn't know what it's doing. I feel it's.
1: I don't know. I've seen quite a lot. I think when you see a lot of celebrities suddenly lose a lot of weight. Yeah. And then, for example, Rita Ora just went, just hit the red carpet for the fashion awards. And she looked incredible. Yeah. She looked unbelievable. She's an incredibly beautiful woman but she's obviously dropped quite a bit of weight recently. She's yeah. always in like on her Instagram, she's obviously doing Pilates and she's working mm-hmm. out and everything. She and it's really fantastic it's really hard when somebody suddenly looks probably the best you've ever seen them because yeah. they're making really interesting fashion choices and like her makeup choice at the fashion awards is really bold because it was yeah. like the gill thing yeah yeah. so they stand out and it's like but the, I think the thing that a lot of people take away from that isn't the fashion isn't the makeup it's she's whipped in so I hope that I hope
0: do that you that... think that's our generation because we were obviously brought up or oh, I certainly was with a pet like my mom who was on Weight Watchers and constantly talked about oh, weight and even 31 I think as a as a girl at school it was always be on a diet I was always real chubby at school so it was be on a diet but like my grandma would always reference weight and be like you know Chloe it's just that you're a bit bigger it's not that it's not that um there's anything wrong with you you're just a bit chubbier than everyone else and it was always told mm-hmm. and I think it was always talked about if you aren't of a certain way you have to do something about it yes um yes yeah
1: oh god I can relate to that
0: and I don't know if I think I don't know I work with quite a lot of Gen Z's and they don't seem to have it so ingrained in their brain that they need to be thin, like okay. we did. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it
1: does. I Yeah, I do think it's a generational thing. I was the fat one at school mm. and have struggled with my weight my whole life. It's a really interesting turn of phrase that I realised that it just rolls off my tongue. I didn't struggle with my weight, I struggled with food. Yeah. I ate too much and I was fat. And <laughs> it's like it's really simple yeah. as that. Um, but it's really hard to deconstruct what's going on. And I um, have always had the pursuit of weight loss, always. yeah. And on the one hand, when I hear about the Gen Zs who are like, who don't care, and they think all bodies are beautiful, part of me really loves that and thinks, yeah. God, imagine the mental freedom you have not to have that attachment to how your clothes fit yeah. and that I don't know about you can ruin your day
0: um, I did an episode on it and I just sat I don't even know if the episode make makes any sense but I just sat and I just talked and talked and talked because I was like oh that's all I don't know what else to say it's, without going on and on but yeah
1: I mean I've done the same dance with the same 50 pounds five times in 30 years yeah. so I started gaining weight about 10 And then it was only in 2019 after I had major surgery and that I had a breast reduction that I realized it's not, I try. I kind of zoned in on just my boobs Mm. and I realized there was a much bigger thing at play that I needed to fix. And that took so much work and that took, and God, in my job I've interviewed Dukan from the Dukan diet. I've done Atkins many times. I've done Weight Watchers a thousand times. I've done Slim Fast. I've done so many diets and I, I achieved success. Those fifty pounds would come off. Yeah. And then they go right back on yeah. again. Yeah. And I just thought, I I don't want to keep doing this dance. It's so exhausting. And I'm always expecting that when I get to the goal weight, that I'm gonna be happy. Yeah. And that when I get to the goal weight, everything's gonna fall into place. Yeah. I'll earn more money. Where I'll the hell people, did that come from? People like will us? be nicer to me. Yeah. I'll walk down the street and people will be like like in a rom-com like i really thought that happiness lay at at my goal weight like a bucket of gold at the end of a rainbow
0: but it's because we were told that we've been we've not not um directly but subliminally yeah in all of the media
1: it's like i think i always say to people the reason why i wanted to become a journalist and specifically a beauty journalist look at all the rom-coms of the 90s yeah all of the protagonists worked on magazines the female protagonists worked on magazines they had great lives yeah so, yes, I understand that. So I do think about Gen Z and, and they talk about um, all bodies are beautiful. But my hardwiring is hardwiring. And as much as I've yeah. done the work for myself and I'm now, I've maintained my weight now for three years, which is something I hadn't done before. Yeah. So it's a really big, like, yeah, yeah. it's a really big achievement for me. Yeah, congrats. And I've got on top of my eating issues for the most part. Recovery isn't linear. Mm-hmm. I... I can't imagine what it must be like to be bigger and not worry about the health implications because that was always my concern.
0: I struggle with that also. I also don't know what's right or wrong. So I kind of just don't speak on it yet because one, I'm not a voice of expert, but two, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings.
1: Well, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And also I know that when I just said that there would have been, someone would have gone, <gasps> Yeah. Um but but so someone says something to me really recently, because there is does seem to be this divide now. There are doctors out there who say that there are no health implications, negative health implications from carrying excess weight. Mm -hmm. And there are other doctors who say that's absolute nonsense and that's really irresponsible. So I guess at some point you have to choose which side you lean towards. And actually I find it incredibly empowering to nourish my body with foods that I believe will make me feel good yeah, and to exercise and move my body in a way that makes me feel stronger. Yeah. I'm 45 next week. I'm definitely perimenopausal. You do not look it. Bless you. You look great, I'm Emma. glad that you said that. No, you do. I was <laughs> taken aback. Um, oh, I liked an audible gas. <laughs> I am definitely perimenopausal. I, in the next five years, definitely I'm going to hit menopause in a, in a, a, probably a fairly substantial way. I'm anticipating it because I had hormone issues as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I need muscle on my body. Yeah, Muscle helps you uh, navigate those sorts of hormonal changes really well. Mm-hmm. That's been proven. And so my priority is strength training. I strength train. I walk a lot. I keep myself mobile. I keep myself flexible. For me, and Evie Pomporus, who I mentioned, uh, Obama's former Secret Service agent, she's like, people take better care of their cars than they do their bodies, but you get yeah. one body. And so for me, I definitely align with the idea of being in a body that is fitter and healthier and isn't carrying adipose tissue yeah. and is focusing on building muscle, muscle is the organ of longevity, I, that's, that's where my belief lies. Mm-hmm. And I would say, being a 45-year-old woman, nearly 45-year-old woman, I have friends who are in their 50s and 60s, and not a single one of them aligns with the body positivity um, beliefs, that Gen Z do yeah. because they're like, Oh yeah. Once you get past a certain age, that's all out the window. You know, you need to drop that weight. You know yeah. that you need to do because there are different things yeah. that you are now worried about. You, you do. I mean, I personally haven't seen anybody in their sixties and I have friends in their sixties who are like, I wish I could have been like that. But the truth is I know I feel better yeah, and I'm, and I'm in better stead yeah, when I am, um, eating a certain way and when I keep my weight in a particular for them a particular window of their comfort
0: yeah it's a fine line isn't it of i'm really trying to give myself a break on it at the moment i'm tr- i think i'm trying to overcome this internal narrative of don't eat that you can't eat this today because you're going to this tomorrow i'm going to paris next week and in my head already i'm like i daren't tr- i've bought new outfits because we're going all out It's my friend's birthday um and I do not try them on until I am I have a day where I feel good because I know oh, yeah. that if I try on the clothes, all hell is going to break loose. Mm. Um, having said that, I'm not anywhere near as bad as what I used to be, but it, I am trying to break the narrative of you've got to be in the gym five days a week to feel good and you've got yeah, to yeah. not eat certain things to feel good. Or it's, it's a lot, isn't it? How have you managed to break that? cycle or barrier or you might not have and you might still face things
1: i like to think i've done a lot of breaking through yeah but recovery isn't linear that's my like catchphrase so i used to think that yeah if i it's it was the performative weight loss so when i used to exercise i would exercise always i would i would be when i used to live in clapham I would be at the doors of Fitness Exchange at five fifty nine, waiting for those doors to open. Was mm-hmm. it six thirty? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a long yeah. time ago now. But I would always exercise first thing, and it would be all I would talk about. And yeah. I would, and I'd be really good at it. And I, I could go for like eighteen months exercising five days a week, and really restricting what I was eating, and I could lose those fifty pounds. Yeah. But then eventually something would happen, and it was all about the perfectionist mindset. So. Something would happen and I wouldn't be able to get my workouts in. Mm -hmm. And so then I'd start like doing two workouts a day or three workouts a day. Like I do go and go to the gym in the morning, do my cardio for an hour, do strength training, go to work, go back to the gym, do like, I was going to say pump and dump. I don't mean that. (laughs) What was it called? It was body pump or something, pump and something. And then, um, and then I do a spinning class.
0: Yeah.
1: And that would be a day. must have been exactly so I get to the point where I couldn't maintain that any longer but because I didn't do it for say two or three days then I've like oh I've ruined it and then I would spiral yeah. and those 50 pounds would go back on yeah, yeah, yeah so in 2019 when I had the breast reduction I was like okay I want I, I, I've had it I'm stop I'm stopping this because this is miserable Yeah. and actually at that point I was 41 I was like I I'm not living my life because I'm waiting yeah yeah I'm waiting for to feel like I can start yeah and I'm 41 that's too late so stop it I had a really long chat with myself and I read a book that I've talked about loads on the podcast called brain over binge Mm -hmm. and it didn't really apply to me in the sense that I'm not bulimic but it did apply to me in the sense that I had a very messed up relationship with food so I never kept it in the house so I remember my friend Charlotte would always come over and she'd open the cupboard she was like Emma there was nothing in here and it was because I couldn't have food in the house because I didn't trust trust myself I'm the same and if I had, a if I bought a multi-pack of something, they would all go or I'd eat four of them feel really bad. Couldn't leave the two alone. So I'd flush them down the loo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? I, um, got sent a hamper yesterday and it's really nice. And know. Hampers are the worst. Well, I'm pan, I'm literally, yeah. oh, it's even making my eyes water a bit. Like
1: you're in a safe place. I
0: know, but it's like, what do I do with it? Because I've left it in the kitchen. I have housemates, And I've left it in the kitchen because if I take it in my room, I'm like, what? I don't trust myself. And it's, and I've just, you know, like you just want to get to a space where you want to be able to enjoy, but not binge or not feel bad or it's exhausting, isn't it? It's really
1: exhausting. And I totally know hampers are the worst. And there was like during lockdown, the body shop used to send these vegan brownie making Mm. kits. (laughs) I'm just like, stop what I was doing. And then basically, like, make these things and barely cook them, and just like whatever, just and yeah. th- and then I would have to. Oh my god, what is happening? It was like a frenzy, and then I'd have to go down and put them in the communal bins. Yeah, like, something really. I, this is this is this is a frenzy. Yeah, this is like a. I'm having an out of body experience. Yeah. So yeah, I'd be the same, and it's it's really really hard. So the way one of the biggest shifts was. One of the biggest shifts is I decided I wasn't ever going to not enjoy something. Yeah. I wasn't ever going to restrict my food, but I knew I had to make better choices. It was Mm. just about my choices because basically the thing was every diet I'd ever done had worked because it took my choices away. Mm. It told me what to choose.
0: Yeah.
1: So I was like, I don't need those training wheels. Yeah. I'm a grown ass woman. I want to make the right choices. I don't yeah. want someone else's choices to be the thing that get me to where I want to be. I want my choices to be the thing that get me to where I want to be. Yeah. So I took back accountability. And I think the hardest thing, and maybe this is, we can talk about this offline as well. Mm-hmm. I felt very much that when I would do the sort of feeding frenzies or the binges or the restricting for days. Well not days, but like, if I go a full day without mm-hmm. eating, i will be like, i did it i'd yeah. be so proud of myself yes. i get to the evening and not having having and not have eaten yeah because i was like oh it felt like i'd sort of won but then eventually yeah. you eat and it just i don't know it was like a trap door and yeah. everything goes yeah. in yeah. yeah it which which is really really hard so i just i'm not going to restrict myself from anything so for example this week or last week i got on the scales and i put on two pounds now I told you that I've maintained my weight. So I've maintained my weight for three years in the same four pound window, which I've never done before. Yeah. I'm really, really happy with it. Yeah. And I've taken the pressure off exercise. I trust science. So I kind of, I spent a bit of time a couple of years ago working out what I reckon my base me- metabolic rate was. Mm-hmm. And instead of dropping my calories, I just kind of stuck to, to near there. Cause I was like, but if a deficit's still a deficit, like if I just, yeah. Am re- if I trust slow and steady, it's gonna work Marathon, not sprint. exactly so a couple of weeks ago I got on the scales and it's gone up. it's gone two pounds over my safe zone if you like my window that I've been keeping in and I was like I know it's because my eating's been a bit off recently Yeah, I've been feeling a bit stressed I've been feeling a bit overwhelmed and I rely on food for more than just physical nourishment Yeah, food is how I have a good time yeah. it's how I treat myself yep. and I had overdone it now two pounds isn't much no not at all but in my story, it's an indicator that maybe something is out of whack yeah. and I just need to reassess and I did. But the first thing I did after I got off the scales and had my shower is I went to the coffee shop and I got a coffee and an apricot croissant mm-hmm. because I refuse to, because I can still have that which would in my old version of myself would have seemed like a horrible indulgence yeah. and would have been a path to weight gain. I can still have that, and if I wanted to,
0: lose weight. Yeah, yeah, and not go crazy.
1: So it's about being measured. It's about making better choices. It's about empowering myself with the information and actually forgetting everything I ever learned from a diet. Yeah, How do I feel? Because every diet I've ever gone on has told me that my goal weight is a good 20 pounds lighter than I am. I feel great as I am.
0: Yeah. I do, I think a big reason of mine is and I strongly believe this for a lot of people, you eat because of a lack of fulfillment in an emotional region. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to figure out what that is. And actually the past few weeks I've been great because I just feel like I'm on a good path. I'm in a good routine. I don't put pressure on myself to go to the gym, probably go twice a week. And I really enjoy the time that I'm there. Um, And I also think I used to hide... From talking about body and eating and I used to get so embarrassed I used to voice note my best friend and I used to say oh my god I've just eaten a whole box of cereal like half a packet of biscuits this was after my tea mm. and then I've had like two oat milk hot chocolates and I'm like and I can I can still keep going and oh, I yeah. used to and I used to go and go and go and I used to be like please I'm telling you this because you're my safe space please don't ever tell it don't even say it out loud to me like I don't I'm just telling you to get it off get it away from me and now I talk about it quite openly and I'm really glad I've got to that space because the more we talk about it there's a lot of like I've said it to you and you've gone through the same thing and I've, I've said it on a couple of episodes now where people have gone through the same thing and and so I used to be so ashamed of it and I used to be like nobody else must be it how can anyone one human being fit all this food in their body where actually a lot of us are doing it yeah and we're just not talking about it it's really,
1: it's so shrouded in secrecy and it's shrouded in shame. I was so ashamed. Yeah. And so when people would say to me, because I talk about wanting to lose weight and people would say, just eat less. And I'd be like, I don't eat too much. And I would get so defensive because everyone assumes that you're greedy. Because from the outside, it can look like that. It can look yeah. like that you lack willpower. It can look like you're yeah. greedy. But what's really going on, like there have been times when I've been on the way to the supermarket and I'm not even really present. Yeah. I'm going there to go and get something. Yeah. To fill something that yeah. and and I don't know about you I have a friend who I have a very unhealthy relationship with but it's probably probably my strongest <laughs> emotional connection that I have in my life because we talk <laughs> about food all the time and we just send each other TikToks of people of just like people eating fast food so that we don't which is which I <laughs> which is my toxic trait and I but but we talk all the time and we send each other uh like we'll just be nine o'clock at night and i'll just get a whatsapp just saying um cheeseburger (laughs) two fries. like we just and we just then go back and forth talking about the way that we could really uh feed ourselves really poorly Mm -hmm. and i just yeah i just don't think people understand sometimes no it's it's so you're not feeding you don't know what you're feeding no i know that i can sometimes like we'll do this text message back and forth and i'll be like right quarter pounder with cheese fries strawberry milkshake hot apple pie a a mcflurry i don't even like mcdonald's particularly i I haven't had one for years and i think as well having struggled with my weight i feel i wouldn't feel comfortable going into mcdonald's because i'd be like this is a bad place but which isn't true i've talked about not restricting yeah And then we talk about, we'd like to send these lists of things like 20 chicken nugs and we do all of this. (laughs) And then like five minutes later, we're like, oh, really fancy something sweet now. (laughs) I'm
0: really really enjoying it.
1: And then, and then we'll like (laughs) go back and be like Black Black Forest (laughs) Gatto. And then we'll do like all of the desserts and then we'll be like, oh, but you know what? I really fancy something savory. And you realize actually in doing it on text message and sort of seeing how ridiculous it is and sort of indulging the fact that we, are safe with each other and he knows that like i'm not going to judge him for it and i hope he doesn't judge me <laughs> you can see how actually when you have that exchange
0: yeah
1: if that goes on in private because i don't know about you when you talk about the hamper and the biscuits and stuff like that yeah. when sometimes you can finish and you it's like mm, i didn't hit the spot i need something else yeah yes. oh, the shortbread didn't do it i need us i need a victoria yeah. sponge or Victoria sponge didn't yeah. do it? I think I need some pork crackling and you become very inventive. Yes. On this pursuit of What are you trying to find? Yeah. What are you It's like when you eat a packet of crisps like you can get a big grab bag grab bag of crisps. I'm not actually eating the crisps. I'm waiting for that crisp to taste per- I'm yeah. waiting for that perfect crisp. It's almost like I'm eliminating <laughs> crisps orally on the way to this crisp that I have in my mind that it's yeah. going to just like blow them away. Take the box. Yeah. It never does. What is that? You're never going to have it. I remember going to um, Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles years ago and they have them, oh, they did at the time, the most incredible French fries. And I remember saying to my friend, I am never going to eat French fries unless I eat them at Chateau Marmont because no <laughs> French fry could compare. Well, I haven't stuck to that. Gary. <laughs> Not about the French fry. It's, it's an impossible quest. <laughs> an Impossible quest.
0: Um, You had James Smith on recently, didn't you? And he mm. um, he said something a long time ago. I used to be. I used to obsess over him. I did his app. I did, and I, f- I find him really insightful. And I've learned a lot about body and perspective. I think. I mean, some of his stuff's out there. It's controversial, but I think he offers perspective. And what he said was. Uh, or something he said a long time ago was, you know, you get up, probably feel pressure to go to a gym class that you don't want to go to. Then you go to a job that a lot of people hate. They don't want to work nine till five. So you're miserable all day. Not miserable, but grand scheme of things. Uh, You get like half an hour for your lunch. So you shove a load of shit in there because you've got to go back to this painful job. Then you leave home and you've either got kids or you want kids or you've got a husband or a boyfriend or whatever and you're knackered like there's no wonder you go home and eat loads of shite like let's all stop trying to be on a diet let's just get through the damn day like you know perspective and I was just so I do think about that sometimes and just remove that pressure because we're all busy like I spend I would say 30% of my time on a train coming down to London one or two days a week I can't stick to a Quote unquote diet, like I, I, it's impossible
1: for me. I yeah. vowed, I was, I vowed to myself, you're never going on another diet.
0: Yeah,
1: but that does, but going on a diet isn't the same as watching what you eat and being more aware of no, what you're eating. Mindful, yeah, and I that that for me is the biggest shift. It's like I know you and I both know. It sounds like we have similar issues. Yeah, you and I both know before we put something in our mouths whether we should or shouldn't, whether it's yeah. the right thing. Yeah. Now sometimes when you start that frenzy, you really do lose that connection with yourself. You really mm-hmm. lose that physic it's like your mind and body are in, in two completely different places. Yeah. I think it's it I can't describe it any better than a frenzy. It's like such a disconnection. But that's why I have my apricot cross on when I put on those two pounds. Yeah. Rather than panicking. I used to abuse laxatives terribly.
0: Did you? Yeah.
1: And I just, I um I won't anymore. I, I will not do it to myself because I'm like, I care too, like I care too much. I want to look after myself.
0: Yeah, I talk a lot about having respect for your body because I think it shifts once you start to build a connection between your mind and your body, and you start to respect it a little bit more. I do. It just takes that pressure off of. Am I going to go on this big, biggest binge? Well, actually, I've I just like my body a little bit more than yeah. what I used to do. So actually, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah, like I've... not anymore, but it makes me just second guess what i'm doing to it yeah
1: i hear you, i hear i know i was watching an influencer on um tiktok i think and she's plus size and she's like this is your body it looks after you it keeps and i was and i was like yeah but i th- it sort of kind of goes both ways yeah and i know that's i know someone's going to listen to that and think i'm being really unfair but no. there there i guess it is a guess a generational thing as well of It is hardwired into me to think that being obese is not as good as being.
0: Yeah. No, it is me too. Within
1: a healthy weight range. Mm -hmm. I don't want to use a specific. I think this is where it gets really difficult. The vocabulary is really hard and you're going to offend somebody. I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable in their own skin. Nobody should be bullied or picked on for how they look. I've been in that position. It really sucks because you're like, well, there's bugger all I can do about it. So please don't use it against me in that moment there's nothing I can do about it but at the same time I uh, yeah (laughs) I feel like I'm gonna go down a path here that's gonna really make me unpopular but yeah I just sort of think there's something really empowering about understanding that you do have agency over your body not control that's very different and that's dangerous but having the agency to make the choice that you need sometimes the choice is to wake up in the morning and think oh I'm going to smash a lower body workout today. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, have a little think and think, oh no, I've been really busy this week. Best thing I can do is just like sit in bed and watch Megan and Harry with a cup of tea. That is as important as the workout in many ways. And the same with the food. Like some days I'm really tired. I could absolutely nail a pizza, Mm, but I've got, a, have got a really long walk tomorrow morning. So actually it'd be really good to like put some protein and greens in me. Mm. And it's making those choices. And one isn't a diet. Yeah. All of them are on the table. Yeah. It's just being like, what's gonna make me feel better? Mm. That's where I that's where I tried to come
0: at it from. Yeah.
1: Now I completely sometimes agree. pizza's gonna make me feel better, Chloe. Pizza's
0: my favourite takeout, you know. Pizza I mean, and Thai. I know Thai's not the worst, but I'm
1: never gonna
0: I'm never gonna commit
1: to one. <laughs>
0: no. See, I I restricted fast food so much when I first went on diet when I was about 16 maybe a bit old maybe 18 and I lost a lot of weight like unhealthy amount of weight I was really skinny um and I cut everything out and ever since I don't really like chips I don't like burgers I don't really? which is is and I don't like now if I really wanted one I'd have it but I just like went for dinner yesterday and we all had like there was loads of fries and stuff on the table I just don't eat them I just don't don't enjoy them so and people say to me a lot of the time like you know you can like let your guard down sometimes with food because i don't just fast food and stodgy stuff is not my it's not in my palate anymore you know no i think
1: i think there's something to be said for that it's like kids don't like vegetables because the majority of the food that we feed kids is so sweet and when you when you when they eat a bit of broccoli i mean i love broccoli i mean you oven roast some broccoli yeah oh yeah with a bit of garlic mm. sesame oil oh yeah. absolute taste sensation yeah. but you give it to a kid who's used to sweets and like those Chino yogurty waffles. things and everything it's gonna taste like mud yeah no wonder kids hate vegetables yeah it's the same thing i think when you can sort of train yourself and i i don't particularly like fast food in that and i love anando's but like the sort of burgers and fries mm. and stuff like that because they just don't feel they just don't taste like food. No. they taste artificial yeah. I just don't really um, i've just
0: yeah, I just think my
1: taste buds have adjusted. Yeah,
0: mine too. Just don't enjoy it. Yeah, mine too. Um so final question that I ask everyone on the show is what is your version of beauty?
1: What is my version of beauty? This is a really hard one to get my head around mm-hmm. because I think it can mean so many yeah, wonderful, incredible things. If you say beauty to me, I immediately think of incredible images like mario testino supermodel images and i think about the supers yeah um because to me at the age i was when the real supermodel thing happened that was like when my brain was really developing they were indelibly printed on my mind is just like that's what beauty is Mm -hmm. and no one since has lived up to that moment for me like I know there have been supermodels. Bella Hadid is absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Giselle's obviously incredible, but nothing in my mind is as beautiful as those supers were. Mm -hmm. So I think about that when I think about beauty, my version of beauty in terms of my own life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It was always a thing that I enjoyed and there was so much playfulness with it. I love makeup. I love creating... I love what you can create with makeup yeah absolutely when I was in lockdown and I would feel like oh I'm feeling a bit sad today like it's getting to me and I tried not to I actually think I did really well in lockdown through that I'd watch Sam Chapman or Nick Chapman's old YouTube because mm-hmm. I know them and I really like them but I really love how they talk about makeup yeah. and watching them play with makeup would make me then go into my bathroom do a completely full ridiculous face of makeup and I would feel like a different person yeah i feel amazing i wasn't going anywhere going for my hours walk around the park but i felt there's there's something physically and emotionally and mentally transformative about makeup which i really enjoy so that i really love about it that's something that i think is wonderful and i think in the last few years i've really taken skincare a lot more seriously because i'm getting older and i am um, trying to be use products that will stand my skin in really skin in really good stead mm-hmm. and so there's been a shift so my version of beauty now has shifted from what it used to be so i used to enjoy the ceremony of beauty I used to enjoy like a tincture here and an oil there mm-hmm. and a layering here and a massage there <laughs> because all of those things when you're in your 20s and 30s make your skin look great so you think they're working and so i'd love all of the different ways in which you could pamper your skin Mm -hmm. and now i'm results driven baby (laughs) (laughs) there's no more ceremony there's no more pampering there's (laughs) no more like i don't use any facial rollers or anything i use uh gold standard skincare ingredients in uh, a strength and percentage that's suitable for my skin to get results so i use niacinamide tretinoin Uh, azelaic acid to hyaluronic acid Mm -hmm. and my skincare is now incredibly simple and extremely functional but because I am focused entirely on results I'm not going down the route of injectables and Mm so oh that's where that's my position today yeah I'm very open to changing my mind but today right now I'm very happy to be using skincare to uh, get the results that I want so my version of beauty kind of I guess I hope it's all right that it covers all three it's like this standard this incredible like moment in time just when you say beauty I just immediately think of Christy Turlington Mm -hmm. on that on like and Versace and George Michael and like that to me then I think about the playfulness and the and how empowering it can be the playful elements of makeup and then I think about actually the results and how beauty can be so easily dismissed—something as superficial and fluffy—and sort of it can be footed away. Mm-hmm. But it's science, yeah, and it's really powerful what it can do. It is. And when you read, like someone had a uh, someone criticised me about calling myself a beauty journalist. Like, it's no journalism, beauty. It's just lipstick. And I was like, actually, mate, because it, it was <laughs> a man. It's anthropology. It's geopolitics. It's science. It's medicine back in your seat yeah. like if you're really doing proper creating proper, proper beauty content yeah. that when you actually begin to understand 360 even the sustainability argument now is huge so there's that and I feel like I should also mention the business side of it and talk about the fact that yeah. as an industry it's making strides with things like sustainability and yeah. I was at a Garnier dinner the other night and what they're doing with eliminating virgin plastics and things like things yeah. like that it's all very well and good to have these really tiny companies who are green but when big companies like that so make significant shit. changes. So so I'm sorry, sorry it straddles four things. No, no. Because I think it's really important to talk about beauty in the industry and yeah. the fact that it's a really unique and special industry in many, many mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. And it's got a lot of really incredible people in it who move things forward in a way that they don't often get credit for.
0: Yeah. And I think, like, completely fine to to answer that, however you wish because i think it's so interesting that you know it's the same question that i ask everyone and every single person interprets it in a completely mm. completely different way and that's what it's designed for so thank you You're very and well thanks for your time and thanks for being so open oh it's a pleasure i've loved it thank you
1: hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic
0: ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget you like this episode hit subscribe and leave us a review